You're listening to Radio Influence. Hey guys, welcome to Live Bold and Boss Up. This week, we talk to an employment lawyer who is one in 200 here in the state of Florida, Karen Busing. She gets called on from all different types of clients, from small companies to extremely large organizations, really trying to figure out how to proceed in this world. Um, and we talk a lot about the C word. Can you say it? And oh, no. there, can I say it? <laughs> we talk about COVID and just the regulations and things that employers and employees need to know about, right. As they move forward and um, move into different roles or yeah, these are all like uncharted territories. I mean, now we've kind of been in it for a little while, but questions that we get all the time from companies, what can we do? What can't we do? And how should we proceed, you know, moving forward? Right. So these are a lot of the questions that we ask were top questions that we get from clients and candidates. And just to give a little bit of clarity at least, or to make everyone feel like, okay, we're all on the same page. We we're experiencing this together. Right. Guys, please subscribe, rate, like, uh, download the podcast. Please help your girls out. We'd really appreciate it. <laughs> Enjoy the episode, guys. Thank you so much, Karen, for coming on the podcast. It's my pleasure to be here. Ashley and I have been so excited about this episode because there's so much information, so many questions that we get on a daily basis on, you know, what are we allowed to do? What can we ask our employees to do? So you're here to give us the facts today on what employers, what um, employees can do as far as COVID goes and the rules and regulations around it. So mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. I literally have been telling everybody, guess who we're having on the podcast? I can't wait to interview her. (laughs) Well, great. It's very exciting to be here. And as you probably know from uh, hearing all of the news, it's a very complicated area to try to navigate. Yes, I'm sure. So can you just add a little bit just to start some context and color around, you know, the companies that call on you to, to really give them advice. Cause I think, you know, the size and depth of those companies and you don't have to share the names, of course, if you can't, but just to give them perspective on the, the, the industries or the companies that you help out, right. In terms of COVID and, and all of the, these questions. They run the gamut from very, very small to large companies from privately held to publicly traded um, and uh, everything in between nonprofits, for profits, uh, all of that. So the advice is uh, all (laughs) around the clock, basically, these days with COVID, because as you probably know, it keeps changing. I mean, the CDC changes its guidance regularly. Um, OSHA changes its guidance regularly. Uh, The EEOC changes its guidance regularly. And all of those agencies are um, the source of what employers should be looking to as they move forward during COVID-19. Right. And it probably changes by the minute, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. In fact, anything that I say today should not be relied upon tomorrow. 
because anything I say today is based on the current guidance. And as you know, it has been changing very, very regularly. So it's really important for employers to keep up with the current guidance. Um, And they can do that by following the CDC website, the OSHA website, the EEOC website, and I can provide some resources later on. They also might want to subscribe to the HR Defense blog, which my firm's puts out puts out and we provide a weekly uh, article about different topics of interest many of which are right now covid related great so right now probably the number one question or issue that we're running into is employers requiring employees to come back on site mm-hmm. and are they first of all are they allowed to require employees to come back on site Certainly, an employer could require employees to come back on site. Um, I'm actually seeing mostly companies are delaying that uh, as we have the Delta variant out there. But they can. They just have to be careful because there are certain employees who may have medical conditions that make them at higher risk for COVID-19. And so if those employees come to the employer and say, hey, I can't come back to the workplace because of a medical condition, then an employer should walk through what we call the interactive process to try to figure out whether there is a reasonable accommodation that would enable the employee to perform the essential functions of the job without an undue hardship on the employer and without basically endangering the safety and health of others. And it's a very individualized inquiry. It depends on the work site, the uh, the individual employee's job duties, the individual employee's health condition, what it is that that creates the issue. All very specific and individualized. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the questions that I've seen a lot too is, you know, having um, having the employee come back on site, right? Requiring that, but then. What happens when, say, the employee has small children and the small children have been now quarantined from school because of, you know, whatever COVID, the Delta variant, both, um, you know, they have to have kind of the, that reasonable accommodation, I, I would think, to allow them to then work from home or how does, how do you know that as a... No, actually, if that is a real challenge and it's a challenge in America because of our absence of affordable health care, uh, not health care, child care for employees, particularly low-wage employees. It's a real challenge. So if a business um, extended the, the leave that was available, you may recall back last year, um, there was the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, and it made available certain uh, paid leave to employees when there was a quarantine order, et cetera. Uh, It was mandatory for covered employers for a while. And then after that, it was voluntary. Uh, You get a payroll tax credit if you're paying this. Um, But most employers did not elect to provide the voluntary paid leave under the American Rescue Plan Act. There were lots of other reasons that you would be required to provide it if you extended it through September 30. Employers that did extend it through September 30 would uh, have to figure out whether the particular condition uh, was one that qualified under the ARPA and provide the paid leave, but most of them did not. And so it's going to depend on your internal uh, leave plan. If people have PTO, you can require them to use it. If they don't have PTO, you are not obligated to provide uh, a reasonable accommodation to an employee who simply has a child care issue. 
Um, and so it's, it's a challenge for, uh, for working parents with these schools um, closing and sending kids home on a regular basis. So it's, that's a real challenge. Yeah. So um, now that uh, employees or employers or when they start re- requiring employees to come back on site, are, are companies allowed to mandate the vaccine to come back on site? Yes, this is very clear. Um, the EEOC, again, everything I'm saying here relates to Florida and federal law. It's different from state to state, and it's different with respect to public employers and private employers. There are some separate considerations, and it's different with respect to unionized workforces, okay? So ignoring that, in general, a private employer that's not unionized can mandate vaccines for employees to return from the work site. The EEOC has said that very clearly that none of the federal EEO laws preclude an employer from imposing that requirement on their employees. And many employers are moving in the direction of a mandatory vaccination policy. Not all of them, Mm -hmm. uh, but many employers are moving in that direction. You can see that from the headlines in the news Mm -hmm. every day. Right. Yeah. So I, I have a sticky question, Mm -hmm. an interesting question on that. Okay. So you have these set employers that are requiring the, um, the COVID vaccine right to their employees. And, you know, legally they're allowed to do that, which is great feeling like they're, Oh, not legally subject to, yes, they are are permitted to require uh, vaccination to return Uh to the workplace provided they make reasonable accommodations under the federal EEO laws. So that would include people who have a disability and people who have a religious uh, objection. So the employer has to address both of those doesn't necessarily have to grant an exemption. It depends, again, an individualized inquiry, but subject to providing reasonable accommodations for employees who have disabilities or religious objections, and the standard for what's reasonable is different for each of those. But subject to that, yes, an employer can require employees to be vaccinated before returning to the workplace. Got got it. So that was going to be my question. (laughs) So, um, and we've all heard the companies that are offering incentives for getting vaccines. Tell us about that. Is that allowed? Yes. So again, and this is a little bit, um, this can be a little bit tricky because it depends that the limitations on incentives depend on whether it is administered by the employer or by the employee, excuse me, or by, by a, a third party. And so the, the best thing that an employer can do to make it easy is send the employees to a third party, like your go to your CVS or go to your Walgreens or what have you. Um, so it, if that is the case, and I don't want to get go down too deep in the rabbit hole here, but there are regulations in terms of the extent to which you can offer an incentive for the, where the employer or its agent is administering the vaccine. Um, And you have to also be careful if an employer or its agent is administering the vaccine with respect to the questions that you're going to ask people. 
Um, so that's that is a complicated, a more complicated area. But yes, the EEOC has said that if you are just sending your people to a third party, you actually can uh, offer incentives, and that the limitations on incentives don't apply. I would be very careful about taking that too literally, because if you have somebody who can't have the vaccine due to a medical reason, you want to make the opportunity available for that employee to also access the incentive. The concern the EEOC has is if you are um, giving a really substantial incentive, it might be coercive for people. Mm -hmm. And if the employer is administering the vaccine themselves, the employer is going to ask some questions that might elicit information about a disability as part of the pre-screening for the vaccine. And they don't want people to feel compelled to disclose information about a disability, that would be coercive. And so if the employer is administering the vaccine, it's a little bit more uh, challenging to implement those incentives. Having said that, again, the EEOC expressly says in its guidance that an employer can ad- administer, you know, can provide incentives. Um, just got to be careful if you're doing it yourself. Uh, so that's that is a good reason to send people to CBS or Walgreens or wherever to, right. or their doctor so, to, yeah. to go get it. Can an employer offer incentives or um, like can they mandate employees families to get vaccinated? Oh, good question. No. And that that implements that that sort of uh, uh, calls into question another statute which is called GINA. It's the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. Um, And again, because you have these uh, pre-screening questions before administering a vaccine, um, you would be eliciting information about a family member, medical information about a family member, and that could be a violation of GINA. And so the safest thing there, you can certainly say, hey, your family members come in and get a vaccine, just like Maybe your company does this for the flu shot. Uh, You can come in, your family member can come in and get a flu shot that's administered by somebody else. But um, we can't give you an incentive to do that because then we're sort of pushing you to disclose information, genetic information about a family member. And that would be a violation of gene. You don't want to do that. No. Um, You know, you had a great question that you answered on the last podcast that you were on um, talking about, you know, the job application process and can the employer, can you're chuckling, you remember this, can the employer ask about vaccination status during that process? Yeah. Application status is, I mean, when at the application stage, it's very, very challenging. You, you've got to be really, really careful. So uh, let me just sort of back up. You can advertise for um, candidates and you can say that, uh, employees are going to be required to be vaccinated. Um, But again, at the application stage, the most I would recommend doing is saying, are you vaccinated? Yes or no. And I would make very clear that they should not provide any additional information at that stage because additional information could elicit information about a disability. And you don't want to do that. You you don't want to elicit information about a disability at that stage. Now, once you can say that, you know, once you start employment, you're going to provide have to provide proof of vaccination, that would be okay. 
Um, if you have a mandatory vaccine policy, you want applicants to know that anybody who comes into your workforce is going to be required to do that. But again, you've got to make clear to people that um, the company will consider reasonable accommodations for persons who have a medical disability, a medical situation, or have religious um, objections. Now, again, religious objections has a very different standard that you have to meet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so tricky. Yeah, I can see how, you know, diving too deep at the job application piece would look like you're discriminating against that individual. Like if they didn't get the job, they could easily say, well, they asked me this, this, and this. So they didn't hire me because I have a disability yeah. and it goes down that rabbit hole. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is why you don't want to at the application stage, ask anybody about that. Right. Other you than may- just again, yes or no. The EEOC says it's fine to, to ask yes or no, but you should make clear to people that you're not asking them to disclose additional information. Right. You may have said this, um, but if a candidate refuses a vaccination, can an employer make them do testing like whenever they walk in the door? I would assume um, yes. Okay. So a, a candidate is a really different situation. So if okay, you're talking about two, yeah, an employee, yes. if um, an employer can say, we're going to mandate vaccines subject to re- reasonable accommodations, um, or an employer can say, we're going to mandate vaccines subject to reasonable accommodations, um, or we're going to require you to undergo testing. So it kind of depends on what the policy is. But for example, let's say you have a mandatory vaccine policy and somebody has a medical reason that they cannot be vaccinated. You could, as a reasonable accommodation, say, fine, you're going to go get tested twice a week. That would be fine. Um, You know, if that would take care of the safety issue and the person could perform their job without endangering other workers. I mean, if that was okay. some employers are implementing a policy where employees can choose to either be vaccinated or to undergo uh, regular testing. And if a employer does mandate the vaccine, excuse me, who would pay for the vaccine? Like, would it be the employer yeah, usually that's, you know, right now vaccines are covered by the federal government. So, yes, but if there were a charge associated with it, uh, the employer would be paying that or it would be covered by their the health insurance policy. You know, it just depends. Right now, the vaccines have been basically the, the government's kept paying for everybody to be vaccinated. True. So I feel like I have so many questions. This is This is such good information because I feel like in the job market now, candidates and employers, there's there's just an added level of questioning that we need to to connect on, right? It's mm-hmm. like, well, do you, you know? There's already a talk about, well, do you want to be in a in in office or remote, and do you you know are you going to be vaccinated or not? There's so just just another level of complexity now with finding a a job. It's very interesting. It is- it is affecting the the job market significantly. I mean, there are some people who say, I'm never going back to working on site again, yes. and they'll just leave rather mm-hmm. than, than uh, have to go back on site, whether there's a vaccine policy or not. They're just not going to go back. They're going right. to go somewhere where they can work remotely. Um, right. A lot of jobs, however, you can't do that. You certainly can't do it in the healthcare industry. You can't do it in manufacturing. Uh, there are a lot of jobs where you cannot work remotely. And, right. and frankly, uh, employers in many instances feel like you use a lot, you lose a lot um, when you don't have people in the workforce, particularly for people who need training, who need mentoring, who need coaching, who need supervising. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And for people whose jobs aren't readily measured with objective criteria, you know, you made so many calls per minute, you resolved so many disputes per minute, those kinds of things. If you can do that, it's a little bit different, but many, many jobs require teamwork and collaboration or close supervision, or, you know, you, you feel like you lose a lot of productivity when people are not um, working in the office together. And of course, as you pointed out earlier, many people have had childcare issues. They're, kids get sent home from school and then you're trying to work while you've got, you know, a five-year-old tugging at you or what have you. It's very, very challenging Mm -hmm. to try to manage and, uh, you know, keeping time records and all of those things. It's a lot more challenging with remote workers. Right. We work with a lot of technology companies that, you know, they have the ability to go remote, but I think one of the main reasons is they don't want to is they lose that culture piece and teamwork and working together, which I feel like a lot gets done, which is why we're all in the office. Um, But yeah, I think that's a lot of the thing is you, you lose that human interaction and that, the culture of the companies. Um, It's a big loss. It is. We miss being around one another. Uh, So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. And I think that uh, most employers are, you know, concerned enough about this current uh, variant that if there is an option for people to continue to work productively remotely, many employers are making that they're just delaying the reopening mm-hmm. of the offices or delaying travel to conventions. Conventions are being delayed. All those kinds of things are happening. But mm-hmm. I think many employers are anxious for people to be back in the office to rebuild that teamwork, that culture yes. and that collaboration. Right. right. I mean, I'm always a very positive kind of person. And I think out of COVID, right, which I know is probably more more negative than positive. I think everyone views that that way. But the good thing that came out of it, I believe, for from a U.S. perspective, is that employers and employees, everyone's very much more empathetic to individuals now when they maybe aren't feeling well, right? And they're sick. They kind of understand, okay, hey, you're sick. Great. Just go home and and rest. I think that's a little bit more understandable now. Whereas pre-COVID, I feel like we would all work when we were really sick, even maybe a fever. People would come into the office. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like this has made um, individuals and, and employers pretty empathetic regarding sickness. That's probably true. I haven't really thought about that, but especially where employers are screening people before they come into the office for fever and so forth. Do you have a fever? Do you have any signs of illness? Blah, blah, blah. You know, in the old days, a lot of people would probably come in even when they weren't feeling well to save their sick days for when their kids were sick, candidly. Right. Um, and you don't see that as much anymore. I think that's true. I think people, employers will send you home if you have any <laughs> symptoms that might yep. look like COVID. And there are so many later. symptoms that might look <laughs> yep. like COVID, but go home. <laughs> you can work remote now. We have that all figured out. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. So it's the best for employers just to make sure you're doing your research. Mm-hmm. Go to the CDC website or guidelines that you mentioned, maybe we can include a link in our show notes or the OSHA guidelines as well. Mm -hmm. And then if they have specific questions and can't find it, do you recommend them seeking out a board certified labor and employment attorney? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think it's really smart. If you, if you are dealing with tricky individual, um, 
issues on these accommodation issues or rolling out a policy and you have questions about how to do it or trying to develop forms to use in connection with your policy for people who are seeking exemptions, it's really helpful to engage competent, experienced labor and employment counsel. It is a very narrow specialty. And so I think it's really useful for people to do that um, and and get some guidance along the way. And, And there are a lot of resources. I think when you talk to employees about vaccination, it's really important to stick with the facts, stick with the science. Um, you don't need to judge people about why they are or aren't doing it. Uh, if you are, if you are encouraging people to be vaccinated, um, then provide the science, encourage them to talk to their doctors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's great advice. Thank you so much, Karen. I feel like we could sit here and talk to you all day about this. <laughs> Seriously. Well, it's my pleasure. <laughs> no, thank you. And I know we may get some questions about it and, and people can email us at liveboldandbossup at gmail.com. And you've been super helpful because, I mean, we get these questions daily and I... I'm obviously no expert. I don't know what to tell them other than, you know, do the research. But um, so this has been extremely helpful. So we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And do encourage people to sign up for the HR Defense blog um, that Ackerman uh, publishes. It's available through our website at Ackerman.com. So if if you put HR Defense blog Ackerman into your um, search engine, it'll pop up. Thank Thank you, Karen. Bye-bye. Bye. Until next time, babes, live bold and boss up. This week on Crush Performance, it's episode number four of our Science of Sweetness series brought to you by the Bricks Glycemic Impact Research and Science Institute. This week, we review some of the hardcore science showing how the food you eat impacts your brain. And we answer some very important questions from you, our audience, on the foods you're eating, why they may be bad for you. And most importantly, we discuss how you can fix some of the foods you eat as we begin to teach you how to properly code your foods. It's Food Fixing 101 on this week's episode of Crush Performance. Crush Performance with Jeff Cruschel can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.